All right, it is time for Baldry's Beat. Lots to get to today as we connect uh, with Legislative Bureau Chief for Global BC, Keith Baldry. Hello, Keith. Good morning, Jody. Boy, people fired up about gas. I had all kinds of plans to start elsewhere, but let's start there. Um, and how I just got a note uh, from Liz, who's a regular listener here of the program. She sends me uh, uh, notes every now and again, and she said, Hi, Jody, the price of gas is ridiculous. My son and I switched vehicles for six weeks as he had to work in Kelowna, he came home yesterday. My Explorer was one kilometer to empty, and she gave a face palm to that. I coasted into Shell, paid two forty six a liter for ninety one grade, Oof. Yep. and then for, so got forty liters for a hundred bucks, and then filled up the Sun's GTI, paid sixty five dollars for a half tank. The ICBC rebate of one hundred and ten dollars is actually insulting. People are really getting to the breaking point here financially when it comes to fuel costs. Well, uh, and we're not alone. If you start, just read a Seattle Times story just moved asking why do Washingtonians pay the highest gas prices in the United States? So even mm. though we talk about Point Roberts being cheaper, you go down to Seattle, uh, it's not cheaper. So there, there's a, and I know you're going to have Dan McTagg on later. And there's a, it's so complex. There's a number, so many moving parts in this. We've done tons of stories of why the price of gas is what it is. First of all, Russia sanctions on Russia, that takes 10% of the gasoline supply off the market. So if that's gone, that's going to drive up costs. Uh, The Ukraine supply chain is uh, affecting costs as well. The Trans Mountain Pipeline, which ships the majority of gas to Metro Vancouver, is absolutely jammed. And further, you know, supports the argument to why it should be twinned, because the lack of the, the supply is being... Uh, overloaded. So where we get our gas from is uh, is shrinking, and the amount of gas on the market is shrinking. And if you start doing just the supply and, and um, demand argument, you're going to see an increase in gas. But again, it's not just here. I think you just had a caller on from Maui talking about the price of gas yeah. uh, on there. So we're not. it's not like we're on our own here. This is a worldwide phenomenon, and I'm not sure what the easy answer is. People, it's interesting how many people want government out of their lives on on so many levels yet now are demanding government action and intervention uh, but we're not going to see that i mean we're going to get this paltry 110 dollar check from icbc which really doesn't it doesn't even equate to one fill up uh for most people but um i think it's just a fact of life going forward we're going to have to pay more for gas and this will curb people's driving habits there's no question yeah but truckers yeah. are going to have to trucking companies uh this is going to affect their bottom line it will, dr- it yeah. will drive up prices Kevin. of the goods they carry yeah, Kevin and Langley is telling us about his his woes, where he was barely making a profit before the gas prices spiked, and now he's you know running at a deficit. It must be such a struggle for he's in the dump truck business. So and a, and a regular listener here. Let's let's pivot here, Keith, because we got a number of things to get to. We can get back to gas prices when we open up the phones in the next segment. But let's talk BCGEU and go into the strike vote. What do you see there? Yeah, no surprise at all, uh, and get ready for a lot of strike votes in the public sector. So the ECGU is just one of a number of uh, public sector unions, which are in a contract bargaining year. About uh, 393,000 unionized employees, 183 contracts, all of them expiring. They've either expired or they are expiring this year. So everyone's in negotiations. The, the issue at the table that hasn't been there for years is inflation, which is running north of 5%, around 6%. That now is leading um, the union side to say, well, we need a cost of living adjustment here, uh, which they've asked before in certain uh, certain years, but it's not been a big demand. Now it is because inflation is so high. A 1% increase across the board 
for everyone. And usually these contracts mirror each other. One, what? Because uh, everyone has yeah. a me. Too, everyone has a me too clause. So you give one union something, everyone else gets the same settlement. One percent across the board costs the government about three hundred and ten million dollars a year. So you start doing the math. If you get a five percent increase across the board for everyone. Over three years, which is a government fiscal plan, it's not just one year, over three years, that costs about $9.5 billion uh, in, of that three-year fiscal plan. Now, there is money in the fiscal plan to cover uh, almost more than $10 billion of contingencies, but that also covers flood uh, costs, wildfire mm. costs, mm-hmm. uh, unexpected emergencies. Um, so there's a chunk of that money that will have to go for that. But there still leaves a significant amount of money for public sector pay Settlement. So there is a strike vote from the BCGO. It's going to it's going to take about a month to carry out from mid mid May to mid June. The results announced on June twenty second. I expect it to be a very high percentage, um, and that will set the stage for potential job action through the summer or the fall. And that's not just the GU, the Hospital Employees Union, the BC Teachers Federation, uh, the Health Sciences Association. All these unions have contracts that are expired. All of them in negotiations. All of them with higher expectations than we've had in decades. And it's going to be a struggle to get a deal at the table. Just when we thought that our lives couldn't get more stressful, here we are. It is it is something else, Keith. But I do want to point out, because I, I was uh, speaking with uh, Stephanie Smith off the top of the program, the, the president of the BCGEU, and she was very clear, and I've heard you and Mike talk about this a lot. You're very clear. When call to strike vote uh, happens, it also moves things at the negotiating table, right? Like it is, it, this is a chess game. This isn't just a fast track to picket lines. No, no, it, it, no. The strike, the strike vote will be announced, the results in, in June 22nd, I think. That doesn't mean there's a strike right then, but it does, we'll bring the parties back to the table. I assume the employer, yeah. the government, will move a bit. I mean, their offer, opening offer, was far below what the GU is looking for. And the GE mm-hmm. will have to come down as well, and you know you meet in the proverbial middle. But it's going to take some time to get there, and the government's going to have to be prepared to pay more than what they paid the last couple of contract rounds, the last several contract rounds, because inflation remains high. Now, if inflation dips in the next few months, that will work to the government's advantage, and that will that will diffuse some of what the unions are looking for in terms of cost of living. But we don't know where inflation's headed. It may go up, it may go down. Bank of Canada is trying to wrestle it to the ground, but so far not having any success. I want to hit one more topic with you before we take a break and get to open phones. Uh, Trudeau in Ukraine, what were your thoughts on seeing that rather surprise visit? Oh, it's pretty dramatic. I mean, these things are done in the, you know, um, under, with the height of secrecy. Uh, the media are informed, but everything's on an embargoed basis. You're not allowed to talk about it. Uh, but again, this this allows Trudeau to separate himself from other politicians in Ottawa. Only Trudeau can go there. He's the le- leader of a country, and it's interesting. He's there. Jill Biden, the vice president, or the uh, president's uh, the first lady, is also there. You're going to see other world leaders go to Ukraine in a show of unity with Ukraine. Uh, and this helps Trudeau's image, no question. I mean, the conservatives and the Democrats can sort of beat their fist in frustration and say, oh, it's just a photo op. Well, it's more than a photo op. You're going to a place of danger, and that's significant. So I think uh, this is a bold move by Trudeau. It's more than a photo op, but again, we'll see where this goes. It's interesting today, uh, Putin on the the, the sort of victory, war victory day, the, the, uh, the victory over Nazi Germany, which they call the Great Patriotic War, 
this really stings Putin, I think, that he's not able to show anything for this huge loss of life for both Russians and Ukrainians uh, on a day that he's supposed to be celebrating. And the fact that Trudeau and Jill Biden are there, I think, buttresses Ukraine's uh, um, not just point of view, but their, their very cause. Then you add Bono and the Edge singing well, in Bono, the Metro yeah, in Kiev. I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow. that was amazing. Singing in a, yeah. I think they were singing in a subway in, yep. uh, in uh, yeah. Ukraine. So I think you're going to see more visits by high-profile international people to Ukraine to further put the pr- pressure on Putin to end this thing. Crystal Gumansing is doing amazing reporting for Global. I have to point out the, the report this morning on Global Morning News where she was standing in Kiev and saying there's tulips here. There, there's a hustle and a bustle, but there are still sandbags and there's still signs of war here. So it's really interesting to watch this unfold uh, mm-hmm. while we're watching marching in, in Moscow, uh, patriotic dancing in, in front of Vladimir Putin. It's such a, it's such a mind bender. Jody Vance in for Mike on this Monday, connected with Keith Baldry, our Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief, taking your calls right now to 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Let's get right to the phone boards, Keith. We're going to start with Alan in Vancouver. Welcome, Alan. Good morning. That's a way to get people's attention. Gas prices. Yes. So we'll hear it all the time, I'm sure, and everyone is quick to ask act on taxes. I do think that's an effective way to reduce gas prices, but uh, a rebate, uh, it's negligible. The cure to high gas prices are higher gas prices, and subsidizing it won't really reduce the prices in the long run. But one suggestion and idea, happy to consider, that I haven't heard before is implementing restrictions on certain vehicles during rush hour times in the work week. I've heard something like this similar, um, similarly done in Europe, where mm. big vehicles construction vehicles are restricted during certain hours of the day, which eases congestion, which hopefully reduces the price of gas many people have to spend. Today in traffic, I was behind a tractor, and I spend over two hours a day, and I know more people that spend more time in traffic. So just a potential idea, not sure how much could be done there, over a quarter percent of our GDP in BC is from construction, so I know it might tick off some people, but pay people more at night. And, you know... Yeah, well, Alan, it's... uh you could argue that the time is ripe for some creative solutions here, but solutions like that, uh, which are, I think, very provocative, are, will nevertheless, as you say, infuriate people. We do, we do see restrictions in a number of European cities. For example, you can't travel into, you know, on certain days there's only odd-numbered uh, license plates can access the inner city. Other days only even-numbered uh, uh, license plates can do the same. So it's interesting. Europe's way ahead of us when it comes to uh, traffic solutions and controls and ro- road pricing or, or restrictions. But we may be headed that way because if this is now going to be a permanent situation where gas prices are so high, there may be some restrictions and creative restrictions when it comes to who can drive at what time of day and where they can drive. All right. Thanks, Alan. Let's go to James in White Rock. James, you're on the air. Well, Keith, I'm a construction worker, and unless people want me to start working at 5 o'clock in the morning to avoid traffic, I don't see that happening anytime no, soon. I agree. But anyway, I, I think that the government is kind of looking at this the wrong way. I think that if they would quit charging GST and PST at the end of what you're actually paying at the pumps, it would save people like $0.13 cents a litre. Because you'd be paying GST and PST on the fuel itself and not paying it on all the other taxes combined. Yeah, so, so, so they, yeah, what? that's a very good, very good point. And the taxation argument is the one where there's the government's got some move, to, uh, some room to move. 
So you look at the, the price of gas in Metro Vancouver, there's a huge chunk of it that is, goes to TransLink. I don't think people want to start defunding TransLink, but uh-uh. that's a big chunk of the price. However, the GST, the PST, the other taxes that are there, including the carbon tax, uh, may have to be reviewed and t- because that is something government at both levels, federal and provincial, can, um, can uh, maneuver with. But again, I don't see it happening yet, but it does affect the government's revenue stream if they start taking away those taxes, but it certainly would provide relief. Now, what, the counter-argument to that, and this is the one John Horgan and others have made, is that you can take those taxes off the price of the pump, but that will not stop the, the companies, the oil companies, from just simply replacing the taxes with just a price increase. We saw that on a limited basis in Calgary when, when they dropped the $0.13 cents a litre tax, but I haven't seen reports that suggested other stations are doing that in Alberta to replace the removal of the tax with, with a higher price. So if that's an example that can be used, if Alberta, if what's happening in Alberta, and again, I haven't seen much reports on this. There was one instance of, of the companies replacing the tax with a higher price, but if the getting rid of the, price, the taxes has reduced the price of gasoline over a sustained period in Alberta, that may pressure other governments to do the same. All right, let's keep going down the phone board. 604-280-9898. Star 9898 is a free call on yourself. Faye in Surrey, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, What I'd like to point out is the taxes between Vancouver and Abbotsford, there's supposed to be a 15 cent difference in in prices. In Abbotsford, it's never 15 cents. Yeah, because you're you're outside the TransLink uh, uh, tax um, structure, right? Yeah, well, yeah. there's an example of the companies perhaps filling in the gaps when the tax is lower. They just simply raise the price. And that's the argument, the counter-argument to just simply getting rid of, uh, getting rid of uh, taxes. That would just be replaced by companies jacking up the price of gas. Right. It's that supply and demand vibe that uh, we are all too familiar with at this point. Let's go to Mike in Surrey. Welcome to the show, Mike. What's your question for Keith Baldry? Well, I was, you know, I think everybody's covered my question with the gas taxes. My, my question was, you know, when you take just the gas, forget taxes, take all the taxes away, you know, why is there a difference between Alberta and Washington states? Like, what really are we paying for here? Like, there's got to be a way to isolate just the fuel prices from all the taxation. You know, Seattle's going to have a wacky taxation. We've got our wacky taxation. You know, we're charging GST, PST on tax. We're doing kind of weird things. But the price of a gallon of gasoline or, or price of a liter of gasoline has got to be fixed in some way that you could say, you know, why are we paying 10 cents more for every liter of gas than they do in Alberta or in uh, Washington State? Isolating tax. Take, take tax away because there is a difference. And Dan McTeague should know what that number is. And I bet you will be shocked to see what it is. I bet oh. you it's 10 to 13 cents. So taxes are used for different things. In, in Metro Vancouver, a big chunk of your gas tax pays for TransLink. That's how TransLink is funded, is, yeah. by and large, is through that tax. You take that way, that tax, you don't have buses, you don't have SkyTrain, or at least certainly nowhere near the level you have now. Different jurisdictions use their gas taxes in different ways. I'm looking at a map right now of Washington State and breaking down by county. And eastern Washington State pays significantly lower gas prices than western Washington State because they have access to a different pipelines that go through Montana and other places just east of them. So it's a very complex situation. I can hear the music. We can spend all day on this, Jody. It's very complex. I know. I'll be back. I'll be filling in for Mike a lot over the next couple of months, so we'll probably be keeping talking about the gas taxes. Keith, as always, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you so much. See you later.